everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for coming to listen. We are on episode 21. This is going to be a lucky show. <laughs> I can feel it. Um, before we get started, I just want to say thank you so much again to everyone who has reached out. I love getting all of your messages and emails and it just is, it's the best part of doing this is just hearing from the people who are listening and enjoying the show. If you are one of those people and you are enjoying the show, please do me a favor and leave a review on Apple podcast. That really helps other people find the show and hopefully we can just keep growing this, this lovely little community. Um, okay. So today I have a really awesome episode. I am talking with a speech pathologist. Her name is Sarah Treharn. She is incredible. She founded her own organization called the Open Door Autism Project. Um, and it is speech therapy and they only deal with those with autism, which is really incredible that that is so like her, her focus. Uh, and her and I just really connected and we had a, a wonderful conversation. So with that, I hope you enjoy listening to me and Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hey, Megan. I got it, I think. <laughs> That's okay. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on my first podcast ever. Yay, your first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so excited to have you. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm really excited to hear your whole story because you had reached out to me on, on Instagram mm -hmm. and I was so excited because you are a speech pathologist and mm -hmm. I have been wanting to talk to a speech path on the pod and you have an organization called the open door autism project, which yes. I'm so excited to hear about. Um, so if you want to kind of take us back, like kind of to the beginning of what sort of inspired you to become a speech path and all that, I would love to, to hear it. Okay. Well, I had sort of a winding path to becoming a speech pathologist, let alone a speech pathologist who only works with autism. <laughs> so um, I have my dad is a physical therapist or was a physical therapist. He's retired now, but um, I went to undergrad and majored in communications and really mostly majored in having fun and not paying a lot of <laughs> attention to classes. And, I think and a lot of people do that. <laughs> I did that. I was really good at it. Okay. Um, and then I didn't know what to do next. So then I went straight to graduate school for journalism, uh, just thinking, well, I'm a good enough writer and I don't really know how to do anything besides school at this point. So I did that and finished my first master's in journalism at, and then pretty quickly realized that uh, I didn't actually want to be a journalist, which was sort of problematic. So I had some office jobs that were no fun. And then I went on a cross-country road trip with one of my undergrad and um, basically kind of landed in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, and just said, <laughs> I'm moving here. I'm going to live here. And so I'm not going to live in Virginia anymore. I'm just going to live in Wyoming now. And this is my 
new life. Um, Cause you just like fell in love with it. I just like, it was beautiful. Yeah. I loved the mountains. I, we went in the middle of the summer and I'd come from Virginia where it was like, hot and humid. And I <laughs> got out of the car and like took a deep breath in and was like, oh, I'm moving. <laughs> like, <laughs> see you later. So um, anyway, I kind of just messed around some more for a couple of years, goofing off, learning to ski um, having lots of fun outside. And then like one day woke up and was like, okay, so now it's time to get started with life. Um, what am I going to do? And, um, this is where I finally linked back to my dad, who's a physical therapist. Um, he actually had his own business and had some speech pathologists who worked for him. And I said to him, like, I just don't know what I want to do. I love kids but I don't know if I'm built to be a classroom teacher and what am I supposed to do? I have no idea. And he <laughs> said, well, why don't you come and follow or shadow my speech pathologist, Becky for the day? And I did. And I was like, this is so fun. Are you kidding me? She goes and plays with people. She was doing early intervention. Mm-hmm. She goes and plays with kids in their house and teaches them to talk and gets to educate the moms. Like this sounds like a dream. And so <laughs> I then started researching grad schools for speech pathology. Like, okay, that, that sounds good <laughs> to me. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And so the, and, uh, so this is what happened. I, like I said, I was living in Wyoming and I w- just fell so in love with the West that I was like, well, I'm not going back to Virginia. And I, there aren't very many speech pathology programs in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I narrowed it down to one in San Diego and one in Colorado. My brother was going to undergrad at CU Boulder, University of Colorado. And I called up, uh, oh, I looked at the requirements uh, for classes and your GPA and everything. And I looked and my, my undergraduate GPA was not high enough for either one of them. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, dear. And uh, bite you. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, it no. did, in fact. So I, <laughs> I called up San Diego State or whoever on the phone and said, introduced myself and said, well, you know, I um, I don't have the undergrad GPA requirement. I'm just off of it, but I do have a master's degree and I had a really high GPA. And the woman on the other end of the phone said, uh, you know, you, you don't bother applying because you're just going to get weeded out. They won't even look <laughs> at your application. And I was like, oh, God. Okay. So I hung <laughs> hung up. Literally like, I know. Very disheartening. Yes. Like, well, okay. So then I I hang up. I look up the phone number for the department at University of Colorado, speech language hearing sciences, call, tell her the same thing. And she asked me a couple of questions about like what I've been up to. And she goes, Well, darling, I think you sound interesting. I think you ought to apply. <laughs> Oh, I know it was so nice. And I was like, okay. And so I just like, you want me. I was like, she likes me. She really likes me. And and so I, um, so at that point I just said to myself, like, okay, if I get in, I'm going to be a speech pathologist. And if I don't, I'll figure something else out because I'm applying to one school and I miraculously got into school, um, and went, then moved to Colorado and went to graduate school for three years, during which time I met uh, one of my now colleagues, but sort of my first mentor in autism, uh, this clinical faculty member named Amy Thrasher, who was wonderful and 
excited about things the way I was excited about things. And I got to meet and work with kids on the autism spectrum for the first time. And I was kind of sold at that point. Like, this is so interesting to me. I loved learning about all of the clients that we had with autism. I thought they were so smart and cool. And um, I loved that it wasn't straightforward. I loved mm-hmm. like having to puzzle things together and figure out why I was doing, why what I was doing wasn't working. And um, mm-hmm. so I had that experience. I finished up grad school. My first couple of jobs didn't actually deal directly with autism very much. And then what really changed everything was in 2011, 10, I don't know. I met, um, I saw a job listing for uh, this job at Rocky Mountain Autism Center, working for a man named Dr. Patrick J. Rydell, who is one of the co-authors of the CERTS model for working with autism. Are you familiar with that one? I have definitely heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay if you haven't. <laughs> no, I have. I have. But I mean, yeah, fill me in though, because I feel yeah. like so there's so many different. I know. I was reading another one today. There's so many acronyms. Like I can't keep them straight. <laughs> I know. Totally. So this one was authored by Dr. Patrick J. Rydell, Barry Prezant, who's famous in the autism world. He wrote uh, Uniquely Human. Um, oh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Amy Weatherby, who's also a huge researcher um, in autism, and then like two or three other authors. Anyway, so he has been in the field forever. And then he wrote on his own the learning style profile for children with autism spectrum disorders, which is like a um, an approach to understanding the 10 most common core challenges in autism and how mm-hmm. they affect development specifically specifically development of social communication. Mm -hmm. So when I met him, I came to his clinic, I watched him doing what he was doing. And I was like, what, like, turned my world upside down, it was totally different than anything I'd ever seen. And everything he said just made so much sense to me that I was just like, I'm working for this person. And I there's this is the end. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to work for him. That's I'm, amazing. Yeah. I'm going to learn everything I can about autism. So I worked for him for four years and then I started up my own private practice while also I did a, a brief stint working at the university of Colorado, filling in for a clinical faculty member who was on medical leave, um, supervising graduate students who are learning about doing speech therapy with kids with autism. So I, my life since 2011 on has been autism, 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 and I love it. Oh my gosh. That that's incredible. I, I had said to you before we started, like, I don't know a whole lot of your story and yeah, just hearing it is uh, I mean, like you said, it is kind of a winding path, Yes, but um, I can like hear the passion in your voice, which is just amazing. And like you and I had, before we started, I was like, do you have a child with autism? And you're like, no. So this was really just like a passion for you. Yeah. I just, I, so in speech pathology school, you have to be trained to be a generalist. You know, you have to learn 
all of the different populations, all of the different communication disorders, kids, adults, the works. Um, and and I, I loved all of it. I'm a nerd. I love science. I love <laughs> studying. Like these are things that get me excited. But um, like I said, when I got to autism, I was like, wait, there's this piece that's not totally figured out. Wait, like every kid is different. Wait, like I, I just, I, it has, from the second I started learning about autism, I was excited and I still am. And I think that's one of the things that I'm so grateful for to work in this field is I get to work with families who I feel like I can really connect with and, and learn from like, because like you talk about like Logan is different from every other Mm -hmm. kid of, you know, who you've met who has autism. And so like when I come in to work with families, you know, you've heard a hundred times if, if not more, you know, oh, you're the expert on Logan and I'm the expert on, you know, language development and autism and things like that. But it, it really is true. You know, mm-hmm. like I'll, I'll throw a strategy out and, and you know, kind of get my butt kicked sometimes. You know? <laughs> like that's part of, part of the job. Like you can't have a huge ego about it. Yeah. And, and a parent will be like, well, uh, you know, maybe what about this? And like provide some input. And I'm like, yes, I love being able to collaborate with moms and dads and grandparents, whoever's involved. I feel like it kind of goes both ways because there's times when Logan's therapist will say to me like, okay, we're going to try this. And I'm like, okay, good luck. (laughs) And like, (laughs) right. I think it's going to backfire. And then we're like, so pleasantly surprised that something works. Or yeah, there is like, you know, it it can go both ways for sure. Um, That's incredible. So tell me then like what made you want to start your own organization then, the Autism Project? Yeah. Well, part of it was that um, like I always joke and say that I would have worked for Pat Rydell until the day I died if he would have kept everything going like I I want to go work for him I know like I, I'm gonna interview him sometime on my Instagram so you can see like how fun and funny and smart he is he's like my guru but um we moved like an hour from hit from the clinic where I worked and so I loved working there so much that I continued working there for another year commuting and oh. uh at which point I finally was like, okay, I, I can't actually do this anymore. Like, <laughs> this is taking up too much of my life. Um, and so, but I had been so spoiled by doing the kind of work we did in private practice where, you know, I don't have a crippling caseload. I get to see kids one-on-one. I get to have the parents with me and I get to have these really rewarding, effective sessions. And I had no interest in moving into an environment where I might be in my mind, like stifled that way. Like I Mm -hmm. I think school speech pathologists are heroes, the way that they are able to, Mm -hmm. to get things done. I mean, I just can't even. The caseload is, is huge for that too. It's huge. And just like the logistics of scheduling and trying to put together this puzzle of when I'm going to see each kid and uh, they just do really hard work and they have tons of paperwork to do with IEPs Uh and everything. So I was like, well, um, 
And plus, I only went to work with autism still. And I was like, <laughs> well, this is kind of limiting. Um, I guess I'm just going to have to start my own thing. Like, I didn't have any interest in being some kind of entrepreneur, like, boss babe <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, I, how do I keep doing what I love? Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of out of necessity. So I started that on my own um what was that three years ago four years ago and then I just recently took on my first employee which is a huge thing for me to do um so that's when I kind of rebranded everything It, it I had this old name that was front range autism therapy and then when I brought on my amazing employee Mandy I was like it's time for something fresh I want people to understand that this is something different and new. Um, and so I worked with Mandy's husband who works in advertising and marketing and stuff mm-hmm. like that about how can we communicate that to people through our name and our logo. And so we came up with Open Door Autism Project. Well, you've done such a fantastic job with it because you're, I, I mean, I only know, really know you from Instagram at this point, but I mean, it's, it's such like a cohesive and just, um, it, it really like your, your message is so like crystal clear, which I, I just, I love. And I feel like I have like a million questions to ask you right now. <laughs> um, just because again, and I've, I've said this like to other people too, but people that, you know, I, like I really did not know anything about autism before I had a child with autism. Right. If I didn't have a child with autism, I probably still wouldn't know very much about autism. Now, obviously I've been like immersed in this world and I totally agree with you. I think that it is so fascinating. And like you said, there, there are still so many questions around autism and there's so much that we're still trying to figure out, Mm -hmm. which is like, it's really cool that there, you know, there's, there's still, there's still so many pieces left this puzzle. It's also frustrating because you, know, you, you want to have, have answers. Um, but yeah, people like you that don't have like this personal tie to autism, but then like see these, these kids and adults and anybody who is on the spectrum and just see the just amazingness that is within them. Um, I just like my heart just, pours out because I just I I'm so thankful that there's people like you in the world because we need people like you um so yeah. first of all thank you um yeah oh my gosh totally so okay so as far as like tell me more about like the nitty-gritty of like what you work on do you do you only work with children and like you said you're in private practice so are you like do they come to you at your clinic or are you working at home mm-hmm. um so I work with kids, kids and adolescents. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have any adults on my caseload, although I would totally entertain working with an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, I have some teenagers who I really enjoy working with um, Mm -hmm. who have, you know, really specific things that they want to work on. And that's always kind of cool because they're coming in being like having this, a different level of self-awareness than a lot of my younger kids who I work with. Mm -hmm. So that's always cool and interesting. I do a mix of work in my office with clients and then some clients that I see in their homes. Um, I started off doing all in-home 
really because I didn't have an office and I couldn't afford one. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess we're going to do this in your house. Um, that works. Yeah. But, but I mean, you've done that, right? So you've done early intervention. You've now, now Logan's getting, is he getting all of his services at, oh no, he does ABA at home still, right? Yeah, and then, we do. And then we do gets, a lot of ABA. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. That's, that's primarily what we do at home is ABA. And then he does speech and OT at school. At school. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I have some families who have been on my caseload for years who um, are like, no, 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 we never want to change the office because we love having you come to the house. I mean, for one, you know, like it's convenient, right? So convenient. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you have other kids. Like I have two other little kids. Like to be like carting them Oh yeah. The place. Yeah. It's, it, it really works with our lives for sure. <laughs> Definitely. And then I think that you've touched on this in some of your other episodes. There's also the piece of just things come up at home mm-hmm. that don't necessarily come up in the clinic. Right. That you're able to go like, Oh, where the mom will be like, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. Like, mm-hmm. and <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> you know, he got, you know, one of my clients got mad because his mom wouldn't let him get into his Halloween candy or something. And he comes yeah. in, you know, storming in and she's like, this is what I mean. <laughs> okay, so. We have had that fight many times. Right. Halloween and, and like daily because Logan is obsessed with candy. <laughs> so am I, but I get it. Um, so that's really nice for those families who really um, feel like they need that support of somebody there to really see what's happening I also find and I'd be curious if this has been the case for you that it seems like moms have an easier time one opening up but two also receiving information you know education at home versus when I see them in the office that's a really good point um I would I would think you would be right just because obviously you know, your home is where you're most comfortable. Yeah. Um, I, I am an open book. So I tend to like (laughs) anyone who like talks to me, especially about Logan, like I will just like vomit it all out there. So for me, that maybe isn't like such a thing, but I could, I could hundred percent see that for other people, but also just like what you're saying there, there are so many behaviors and things that happen at home that don't happen outside of home and vice versa because like I mean I'm sure well so so now you you do see people in the clinic also right I do okay because I feel like that that always amazes me too though is that like Logan is so good at knowing what is expected of him yeah in every different area so it's like in some ways like it's it's yeah it's so nice to be home and have that kind of like comfort and I think he has the comfort too but we did have to when we very first started ABA, we had Logan kind of like, you know, in the kitchen or the family room, we were sort of like incorporating it into like our kind of everyday. And there was just way too many distractions. Like he was just, yeah. it was so hard to get him to focus. And like, like I said, we have other kids too. Right. Um, so we did then implement like a therapy room. So we have like a spare, well, like a guest bedroom that we just like, we put like a little table and chairs in and we put like kind of all their sort of supplies they need. And that has worked out so well for us because they have their own kind of space. It's a little bit more quiet. Yeah. Away from the other kids. He can focus. 
Um, but at the same time, I do like when, when they tell me things at school, like I just had his parent teacher conference last week and his teacher was like, oh yeah, she's like, he has been sitting for circle time for like the last couple weeks for the whole time, which they do an extremely long circle time. It's like 45 minutes. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? This child is sitting for 45 minutes. Like <laughs> there is no way on in earth that he would ever sit at home right. for 45 minutes. So it's like, just, they, they are, they are so smart and they know like what is expected of them. So I can see kind of both sides as to where like the clinic would be good, but then also in home as well. Well, I'll say this, the clinic is easier on the clinician. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, it's so much easier, you know, you give all your stuff in one spot, you're not right around, you're not, and you're not having to chase a kid through his house, should he, for for whatever reason, leave therapy, (laughs) um, which I'm sure you've seen before. And so it is, it it is easier to do at a clinic, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do think it's valuable being able to do both. And Mm -hmm. uh, that the thing that I miss though is like when I worked at Rocky Mountain Autism Center, I worked in a bigger clinic and there were occupational therapists there, speech pathologists there. And so we could just, we had our little office where we would do our paperwork and we could collaborate. A lot of us shared clients. And so mm-hmm. I would t- turn and talk to the OT and be like, you know, what's up with this or that? And uh, they would tell me some strategies that they were using, uh, you know, to get a client, the appropriate proprioceptive input that he needed to be emotionally regulated and kind of Mm -hmm. available for learning during the session. And I miss that so much because they're so smart and know this whole other world that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. I know it's, it's so interesting. And like kind of what you were saying before too, it's like every kid is so different. Totally. So that's where, you know, for you, I'm sure it is like putting that puzzle together because just, you know, what works for one is probably not going to work for the other. <laughs> right. Or so like, you've got to adapt. Yeah. And like, I have tried and true things, right. But mm-hmm. things blow up in my face. I mean, that's just like, like I said, you can't have a big ego in this game yes. or it's going to get destroyed if you do. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be able to go like, that didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. Right. And to yeah. have the confidence then to turn to the parent and be like, this is why I thought it was going to work. This is what I was trying to do. Clearly didn't work. This is my game plan going forward. And I think mm-hmm. that's hard for a, a lot of people. Like a lot of people would just prefer something more straightforward and clinical. And my whole thing with um, with rebranding to this Open Door Autism Project is the idea of like, we're not stuck in a medical model anymore. Like, mm-hmm. And I don't think that, that is the, I think that's part of the picture, right? Like that's where most people get their evaluations and diagnoses done, you know, in a children's hospital or some, a similar setting. But I don't think that that needs to be the sort of framework for all conversations and intervention moving forward then. Um, You know, I want families to feel like, like you said, like how um, ABA therapists who are, or any therapists who are coming to your house frequently, um, become part of the family. I mean, you know, this is, we're trying to teach kids how to build relationships. Right. And Mm -hmm. part of that is seeing those relationships in front of them, um, and, and understanding how that unfolds and also being able to build trust with, with, um, 
with the different people in their lives, you know, including therapists and, and not having it be um, this sort of uh, rigid yeah. medical clinical feel uh, all the time, especially with these really little kids where it's like, God, I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine taking my four-year-old and having, you know, somebody kind of poke and prod her and, mm-hmm. and, and, treat her as a subject of sorts you know and mm-hmm. that's just that's kind of what I wanted to get away from I, I, I would never want to feel like that as a parent yeah well yeah I know I can definitely say that I appreciate that because it is so I mean obviously like you know it is clinical like you said it is like you, you do get the medical diagnosis and you kind of have to like go from there um, but I know at least for me especially like in the early days, you do kind of feel like you are like, or at least your child is kind of like that subject, you know? And, and that does, it does feel like kind of cold, even when there's people that are trying not to be that way, you, you can't help but feel that way. Yeah. So it is like, I, I really applaud you for what you're doing because I, I think that that is such an important piece is just having, having, you know, people that work with your child that you are comfortable with, that they are comfortable with. Um, and I mean, yeah, best case scenario, they, they really do start to feel like family and like people that, you know, you couldn't live without really. (laughs) Yeah. No. And, and I think, I think that, um, I don't know if it was you or one of your other guests who said something to the effect of like, when my kid went to school, I just wanted to feel like his teachers liked him, you know, (laughs) like, and, and I think that's something that I bring with me. And I know my, my colleague Mandy does too, into all our sessions of just like, I freaking love this kid. I'm like so psyched to see him. And, and that doesn't mean that like, I never have a hard day or never. I'm like, Oh, what am I going to do during therapy today or something (laughs) like that? But, um, you know, I, I just love understanding these kids and being a person who does understand them um, because I do think that obviously that is a less common uh, experience for a kid with autism than a neurotypical kid of feeling like I'm understood, I'm not being judged, I can trust this person, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the relationships that I've built out of that have felt so deep and meaningful to me, knowing that, that that isn't necessarily the norm for a lot of the kids I work with. Um, So it feels really special to me. And, and the other thing is that um, because social communication, right, is one of the hallmark features of ASD that, a lot of kids on my caseload stay on my caseload for years, right? Because right. the social communication challenges don't necessarily go away, right? They mm-hmm. improve and we're able to work on the different learning style challenges that affect their social communication development. But I get to work with these guys for years on end. And so, I, I mean, it, it feels like another kid to me. You know, yeah. Before I had my kids, I'd be like, oh, this is my baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like when a family would move away or something, I'd be like, uh, no, (laughs) I can't do that. It's definitely, we, um, just this past, uh, I guess it was like right before school started. So it was like late summer. 
um, one of Logan's ABA therapists who he had just like immediately bonded with. Um, she ended up, she sort of, she, she knew that she was not going to stay in ABA forever. Uh, she had like a, a psychology degree and she really wanted to work kind of with more mental illness, but she sort of found her way into ABA, but she ended up leaving so that she could go work really doing what she had been planning to do. Um, and it was, it was so emotional. Like I cried saying goodbye to her. She cried. I mean, it was just like, it, it really, these people do start to feel like your family. And then especially for her too, like, she's like, I'm just going to miss him so much. Like, she's like, he has just like made such an impact on me. And I mean, yeah, that, that part of it, that is like, that's gotta be so hard. Cause you do like, you get so close to yeah. these kids. I, I was on another podcast recently as a guest um, on the uh, Access Champions podcast, which was wonderful. And we talked a little bit about, because the, the host of that show also, like he does not have like a family member or anybody with autism, but he has just like kind of made it his mission to work on accessibility and inclusion and diversity. Um, a lot of his work is with autism, but he's really with any special needs. Um, but we had just kind of talked about you know, obviously like I'm his mom. So I think that he is, you know, the greatest thing ever. Right. <laughs> yes. um, but I, I think that one of the things that to me has just been like such a gift throughout this whole journey is that like, I, I never knew how just incredible and how special, um, you know, people with autism were until I had my son. And I, I've now met like many other children with autism and, you know, adults. And I, there's just such a like earnest, wonderful, like just, just like this realness. And like, because when Logan smiles at you or when he hugs you, like he is doing that because he wants to. And that is right. the only reason why he's doing it. Not because he feels like he has to, or, you know, there's that, that kind of like, obligation piece that I mean I guess more with adults but kids too like it's like he yeah just a hundred percent himself and I just feel like yeah if you if you get close to someone with autism they will just touch your heart in a way that I don't think anybody else can oh absolutely I mean and and you know I I sometimes will say something like you know I'm really gonna have to work for this one right? I mean, <laughs> this is not a right yeah. away thing right <laughs> and so when you get there when I get there and and really see okay this kid gets that I am here to help and that she trusts me you know um that is such a rewarding feeling and and then paired with the knowing that then the parent knows that he or she is not going to be judged in mm-hmm. our space, mm-hmm. I think is, is huge for me too. I mean, you know, I've had parents say, I, I always say to parents, please don't ever apologize to me about anything that goes on in therapy. I promise it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Probably <laughs> not the worst I'll deal with today. You know, I've, <laughs> I've been spit on, peed on, bitten, you know, the, the works, like yeah. the part of it. Um, and know that this is my world and I want to be here. So there's, there are no apologies for meltdowns or emotional dysregulation or, or a messy house for that matter. (laughs) So, and, and when people do apologize, I'm like, okay, come on over to my house sometime. (laughs) Not, not be feeling this way, but, um, but yeah, I, I, it is such a special population that I feel lucky to be connected to. I also, I was served on the board of a, 
um, a private school in Boulder, Colorado called the Temple Grandin School. Oh, amazing. Uh, yeah. And it serves middle school and high school students um, with what used to be called Asperger's or le- similar learning profiles. And so I got to work with those kids too um, through volunteer work and some uh, as clients in therapy. Um, so I've kind of worked pretty much all ends of the spectrum and I, I really enjoy like every every bit of it every every <laughs> every slice of it I yeah. am into um but yeah I it's just so so fun for me I just, it's like I said I'm a total nerd and I really <laughs> really love my job um a weird a weird amount I think I can tell <laughs> But I love that. I think that's incredible. Um, tell me a little bit, like, so do, you, do most of the kids that you work with, are they nonverbal? Or are they minimally verbal? Like, where do a lot of them fall? Yeah, I have a pretty good mix. Um, I, yeah, I have a good mix. I have some conversational kids. I have oh, some wow. kids who are um, really have words, but are not, um, you know, maybe doing a lot of turn taking in conversation or, or things like, um, you know, they have words, but they'll kind of give you the shortest phrase possible, um, Mm -hmm. rather than putting, combining a bunch of words, which they are able to do. Um, so, you know, working on lengthening those utterances and, and using language in different ways. And then I have kids who are just kind of emergent with language, just getting a couple of words out there. And then right now in my caseload, I do have one guy um, who's nonverbal, who uses different alternative augmentative communication uh, for communicating. So I have a pretty good mix, Mm -hmm. um, which I really like. especially since I brought on an employee and she has a real expertise in working with adolescents. So I kind of shifted some of my more conversational guys who was fine tuning over to her and then could Mm -hmm. take on some of the, some of the younger guys and guys who were um, working on acquiring more of their language. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, a pretty good mix. And I really like that because as you can imagine, it looks so different to be working on, you know, commenting, you know, labeling things with, you know, single words versus talking with a teenager about, you know, perspective taking and why a particular text message might um, be perceived in an odd way by a peer, you know, like, yes, totally different. Um, so that, that gets me pretty jazzed about my job too. <laughs> Keeps it interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Never a dull day. <laughs> truly. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. I feel like I should be like a spokesperson for speech pathology. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like it's so fun. Um, but, but like I said, I think because I got so lucky to kind of fall into this niche, that has, is what has made being a speech pathologist so interesting for me Mm -hmm. um but also just like meeting so many families I was thinking about it as you were talking about um 
having met more people with autism since Logan was diagnosed, like mm-hmm. I was curious for you, obviously you're connected to the online community and I've heard people talk about like, oh yeah, there's this huge online community that's supportive, but I was curious about your connections that you've been able to make in real life with mm-hmm. families of kids with ASD. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I have made a lot more since starting this podcast. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's been, it's honestly been incredible. I have like a few other moms who I have recorded with some who have been on the show and some who haven't yet, uh, who I, I'm, I talk to like every week now, if not more, like it's, it's been just amazing for, for me personally. <laughs> that is too cool. It is. Oh my gosh. I, Sarah, I can't even tell you, like, this is something that I've, I've wanted to do for a long time. And I'm so glad that I finally did because it's, it's just been, it's, it's been amazing to just kind of like see it all come together. And, um, but before that, to be honest with you, I had like a few, a few people who I had known kind of here and there, um, but not, not a whole lot, which was one of my big catalysts for starting the podcast because I, I felt, and I agree with you, like there is a whole online community, but it it is in my opinion, it's kind of hard to access it if you're not like kind of in it. (laughs) Like I I can imagine that. yeah, Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Um, because, and I also like, I, there's definitely like, since I've started the podcast, I've, there's more people I've connected with online too, which is amazing. Um, but it's, it's still, you know, it is kind of impersonal and you only get like bits and pieces and fragments of what's going on, obviously. Right. With anything on, you know, social media. Um, and I, I'm a talker. <laughs> As am I. So yeah, exactly. So it's like, I, I like talking to people and like really like getting like, just like deep diving into all of it. Yeah. And yeah, so that, that part has been, been really wonderful since starting the podcast and just, again, just that support piece, because um, that for me really was just the hardest part and probably still is one of the hardest parts is just like not, not having people to talk to that really get it. Like there's so many people that are understanding and and kind, obviously. Right. But not that, you know, unless you like really live with autism, Mm -hmm. you, you don't understand it. Obviously you do. (laughs) Well, but even still, not really, you know, like, yeah, you don't have a child autism. So it is, it's different, but I feel like you, you still have that that like deeper appreciation and understanding of what, you know, parents of children with autism deal with. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Cause it, I mean, like it's definitely, um, it's, it's a lot and it's also just very different than having neurotypical children. And I can say that even more so now because, you know, I have neurotypical children. So it's like, right. when, when it was just me and Logan, I, I could like maybe I didn't realize a lot of the things that were issues necessarily until we had our daughter. And then we saw like her, her doing things that, you know, as a baby that Logan still wasn't doing as a toddler. Yeah. So it was like, then it was like the, the gap was just getting wider and wider. Right. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's hard because I mean, I do have a lot of friends who have kids around the same age or even like the exact same age as Logan. And, um, 
it's tough because it is like apples and oranges, you know, it really, it's, it's different. You, you, you can't compare, you should not compare. Comparison is a thief of joy. Sure. So true. And I, I learned that a long time ago, like even before he was diagnosed, just because you will, you'll never win at that game. And that's just the way it goes. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that, that part of it. I feel like I've like gone off on a tangent, but <laughs> no, I, I mean, I love hearing about this stuff really. Well, and I mean, that's, like I said, that's really like the main reason why I started the podcast. I really, I mean, I, I love talking to people like you who are just like experts in the field, because I think obviously you have so much knowledge and so much experience. Um, but I, I really, I think that that is still something that's missing, especially for like newly diagnosed children or totally. not yet diagnosed because you yes. do feel like so lost and like right an outsider kind of um so yeah. so yeah that's a, a little more about <laughs> well no because I mean I've heard parents say like this it can feel so isolating like I yeah. don't feel like we can go over to someone's house you know or I don't feel like we can you know, go on a weekend away with another family or something like that. And so even people who used to be friends who, like you said, are understanding or, you know, kind, um, don't really get it. And then maybe have great intentions, but don't know how to support and incorporate Mm -hmm. you and your family into their social world. And that was like part of what I was thinking when I wanted to um, change to the open door autism project was like, I feel like as much as the awareness and understanding and acceptance of autism has changed, even since I graduated grad school in 2010, there, there's still so many people who don't have any exposure or have limited exposure or have exposure via like the big bang theory. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) And yeah. And then, and so these families who are like suspecting that their child might have autism or like you said, very newly diagnosed, I feel like they are totally isolated and so scared and don't know, like when they get their diagnosis and it has this, on the last page, right, the, all these lists of recommendations of things you should do. And they're like, okay, like, who am I going to talk to about this? Like, I've read about ABA, but like, what is that going to look like? Or uh, what I'm supposed to get a speech therapist, but like, is there a speech pathologist who specializes in autism? Is there like a psychiatrist who's really good with dealing with, you know, both ADHD and autism or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I have felt like even not being a parent of a child with autism, that it is uh, oftentimes communicated about or dealt with in a kind of hush hush sort of way. Like, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and everybody obviously has their own right to process and communicate about their family and their challenges however they want and that's not what I mean by it but I feel like I felt like it was my obligation as a provider and an expert in autism to say there's nothing scary going on here um you know this is 
life. These are real people. I'm a real therapist. And I'm <laughs> going to show you what this looks like. I want you to feel like this is approachable um, because the last thing that you need on top of having just had having this kind of bomb dropped on you that is then to walk in and feel intimidated by the person who's supposed to help you. Um, and so that was kind of my aim is like, I would really, and why I really started a social media campaign was for people to be like, Oh, okay. This is what it's like. Oh, okay. These kids are having fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, they like going to therapy, not all the time. Let's get real, but like (laughs) a lot of times that, you know, this is, this is not scary. And, and, um, that was something that felt and still feels really important to me. Amen, sister. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love everything you just said. I think that that is like, it just, you hit the nail on the head for sure. Because if you, yeah, if you can have, especially like you said, like a newly diagnosed, you know, family or even in pre-diagnosis and, and just give them that reassurance that like you said, like, this is not scary. I know it feels scary right now. Um, but it's going to be okay. That's always like the first thing I say to anyone, especially now since starting the podcast, um, I have had people reach out to me, you know, that are before they've even gotten a diagnosis and it's, they're scared. And I, I remember that same, that same feeling you want to hide your head in the sand. Um, but the first thing I always tell those, I'm like, your child is perfect. There's no two ways about that. Your child is exactly who they're supposed to be. Yes. You're an amazing parent. You have an amazing kid. First and foremost, you need to understand that because I do remember that, that feeling of like when Logan gets this diagnosis, cause we knew it was coming that like something was going to change. Right. And I, I don't know what I thought was going to change because nothing changed. You know? <laughs> like we, we still lived our lives every day. We still, you know, woke up and put our pants on. I mean, it was like, everything was right. the same, but you, when you are, you know, before you get to that place, you don't, you don't know, you don't know what it's going to look like. And, and we still don't know what yes. it's going to look like. Right. Uh, which is, it's that, that part is still scary, but it's like, you, you do start to realize like, you know, one day at a time, it's, <laughs> it's real yeah. and like living in the moment and just celebrating, you know, the, the little successes, because I'm sure you can attest as a therapist, um, at least I know for us, the progress is slow. It, it is really slow is. going. Yeah. I really have to like step back and look at the big picture because sometimes you do start to feel like what's going on right when you can step back and look at everything Mm -hmm. it's it's really it's it's very profound but it's like when you're going through the day-to-day sometimes it's Uh, it can be feel like you're on the hamster wheel for sure well I'm so glad you mentioned that too because sometimes I feel like one of the most important parts of my job is pointing out the small developmental steps that are happening or subtle developmental steps that are happening uh, as we're, you know, working toward objectives in therapy, because it's just like, you know, when your kid is growing in front of you and you didn't realize that they grow, grew mm-hmm. you know, four inches in the past yep. year until you go to the doctor and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Right. And so mm-hmm. I feel like I have to be like, um, remember what this would have looked like 
six months ago when we started therapy, like if I had asked your daughter to do this, she would have been crying on the floor. Right. And Mm -hmm. now she's doing it and like, nobody's having to prompt her through it. Like, cause I don't, I'm really anti-prompt dependency anyway. Um, But to be like, look how independent your child is independently. Your child is, you know, executing whatever, like the fact that she got invited to a birthday party and went and had a good time, you know, all these things that when you're right in the thick of it, it is really hard to see, even sometimes as a therapist. Um, But I feel like that's one of my most important jobs um, is to help parents uh, celebrate those moments and not in like a patronizing way of like, you know, you're not appreciating it or or something like that. Just like it's, it is hard to see um, when those changes are happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I actually, I love the holidays for this reason, because a lot of times my families will meet up with grandparents or somebody who has not, who does not see their kid every day or every week. Mm -hmm. And the parents will come back to the next session and be like, my dad couldn't believe how much he was talking or whatever. And I'm like, yes, I told you he's awesome. You guys are working so hard. So (laughs) I love that. That's, that's so true. We had a play date last week with a friend who, um, she hadn't seen, like the, their mom hadn't seen Logan in a while. And, um, he just, he's always like friendly, but I mean, it, he, he just went right up to her and he said, hi, and he wanted to give her a hug and he wanted to sit in her lap. And she was like, oh my God, she's like her exact words. She's like, he is blossoming. Aww. He is. I know. And it's like, you, you do when you, you hear it from other people like you're like you see it too like it's real (laughs) yeah it totally validates it all right yes absolutely it validates yes Uh, oh my gosh Sarah I feel like I could just talk to you all night um Mm. I I just think that you're incredible I just think everything you're doing and just that that like I said that understanding that empathy and that connection you are you're just providing so much to these families that you're working with and for everyone I I just think that it's it's such an important conversation to have uh, just about like because like you said autism awareness is is changing you know we're all like aware of autism at this point but it's it's different than just than that understanding is a deeper a deeper part of it and I just I love everything that you're doing and I just I'm I thank you so much Well, thank you. The feeling is mutual. I'm so glad that there's another way for parents in the autism community to connect and get this information from people, you know, personally about what this is like. And so I really applaud you for putting this together and learning about technology and and I'm not very good at it. (laughs) But but you're you're growing outside of your comfort zone just so that you can do important work so I really appreciate it and thank you so so much for having me I hope we'll keep up and yes watch each other's successes in uh promoting more acceptance and understanding as we go thank you so much Sarah okay thank you take care you too bye-bye Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Sarah. Her and I just really clicked, and I just love talking to her. It's it's so interesting now that I've been doing the podcast for a bit. There, 
it's, it's amazing to talk to all these different people and especially like with her, you know, she, like we talked about, she does not have a child with autism and yet she is still so invested and connected to this community. And it, it's just, it's incredible to, to have these really wonderful, meaningful conversations. So I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. And once again, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with me, um, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast or on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. If you just want to chat I'm here if you are interested in being a guest on the show let me know if you have a story you want to tell um either way I would love to hear from you and once again if you're enjoying the show please um tell a friend <laughs> share the episode uh like I said earlier writing reviews on Apple podcasts is really really helpful too so that is all for now and I hope you enjoyed listening and until next time take care Thanks, guys.